football is back, and Domino's Hawaii couldn't be more excited. Our community has been through a lot this year, and so to show our appreciation for all your efforts and sacrifice, we'd like to do our part in helping you enjoy the games by offering large specialty pizzas for $15.99 and our new buffalo wings for $5.99. Just log on to the Domino's Hawaii website or app, and remember, while you watch your favorite team, you can be assured that our team continues to make your health and safety a top priority. What's up, Jordan? Hope you enjoyed your Labor Day weekend. We are coming together here the day after Labor Day. And so because of that timing, wanted to warm things up, our little pregame topic with uh, the question of who is the first athlete, locally or otherwise, that comes to mind who you would describe as being the hardest worker? Who would that be? Yeah, I got, I got to keep it local. And I got to keep it uh, a little throwback, if you will, because he's retired now. But immediately comes to mind, Shane Victorino, right? Why Luca's own. Uh, St. Anthony product that kind of just scrapped and clawed and scratched his way all the way to being a two-time all-star in Major League Baseball, won a couple of rings in two different cities, uh, is beloved because I think he was very lunch pail, hard hat when it came to the way he played the game, never the biggest, never the strongest, always one of the fastest, I will say. The dude could always run, had his PF flyers on, as our friend Neil Everett would say. Yeah, he, he, he automatically comes to mind. The ultimate dirt dog. That would have to be part of the makeup of someone who would be considered the hardest worker, right? It's the image of the underdog, maybe the undersized individual who's able to overcome some of that lack of God-given physical ability or size or physique or whatever it is. And, and Shane embodies that for sure. He was blessed with a lot of speed, that's for sure. But, you know, he wasn't the biggest, tallest, toughest dude uh, but he developed himself into being a fierce competitor, and you're right. Uh, he definitely would be up there. I'm going to go with another guy who has ties to Maui as well, uh, is not yet playing professionally, uh, but on the volleyball court, Colton Cowell of the University of Hawaii men's volleyball program, the Haleakala Hammer as we have come to know him. Uh, but he's another example of that, right? A guy who was a walk-on, was planning on being a defensive specialist at the University of Hawaii and then just got after it. Uh, built himself into, despite being undersized by college volleyball standards, built himself into one of the top and more prolific outside hitters in the nation. Uh, and then you just look at his physique. Uh, it, it, you, you look at just what he has physically been able to develop himself into. And there's no denying the kind of work that he put in. So, uh, yeah, he, he's one of the first that comes to mind. Pretty good uh, couple of suggestions there on that particular topic. All right, let's welcome everybody to the show. Another episode of Let's Talk Sports with Kanoa Leahy and Jordan Helley. And our guest today, quarterback guru, who has the greatest name, the greatest last name for someone who is a quarterback guru, Vinny Passes. That's right, longtime QB coach for St. Louis School. Uh, he runs the Get Better Quarterback Camp, currently in Florida of all places, training a group of quarterbacks he just is always involved with that side of things it is his passion his labor of love uh, and a guy who you know frankly has not put himself in a position to make a whole ton of money off of all of the work that he does 
hesitates to charge anything. Um, and, and even his wife has gotten on him and, and <laughs> has joked that, uh, yeah, he just loves being poor. Because, I mean, he's a guy who, by virtue of the successes of the individuals he's worked with, Marcus Mariota and Tuatonga Vailoa being the first couple that come to mind recently, obviously, he is a guy whose status as a quarterback coach has grown exponentially. And yet, for him, the satisfaction comes from just helping young people out. Yeah, he's arguably the best quarterback coach in the country. I don't, I'm not even saying that as hyperbole. Um, you look at the pupils that he has produced uh, and the guys that have come through his tutelage. And, and yeah, the, the beauty of him, right? He, he, it's not just St. Louis quarterbacks. His get better camps uh, have long included guys that went to elsewhere high schools in Hawaii. And now he's, he's doing it all over the continent as well. Um, quarterback coaches with his resume usually charge a lot of money for their services. That's just not how Coach Passis is. That's just not how he operates. And he gets into a little bit of what really motivates him and what his purpose is, I think, in life overall. Uh, just a really genuine dude. I've been there for some of his camps and just how impressive it is and what he is able to convey to, to the guys that, that spend a little time with him. He, he really is one of the, one of the good guys. And, and it's hard to argue with his success, right? I mean, it's, it's borderline ridiculous, the amount of guys that he's put into Division One colleges and now into the pros. Yeah, the list keeps getting longer and longer, and he talks a little bit about the next generation of St. Louis quarterbacks, which is scary for the rest of the state of uh, prep football uh, in Hawaii because <laughs> it sounds like he's got some, some more studs down the line here uh, getting ready to suit up for the Crusaders whenever that may be. But, uh, yeah, he's a man of, of incredible faith and conviction. Interestingly enough, when he describes how he coaches or works with these up-and-coming quarterbacks, he doesn't talk a lot about physical fundamentals and techniques. A lot of it is more intangible stuff, right? Demeanor, uh, attitude. A lot of it is, is utilizing your eyes, understanding the game. So a, a lot of it is more in between the ears as opposed to, you know, how you grip the football and, and, and throwing motions and footwork and that stuff, which obviously does play a role. Uh, but it's interesting. His philosophy differs, I think, slightly from what you would hear from some other quote-unquote quarterback gurus. All right, let's get to our game time. And if we're talking about Vinny Passes, we might as well talk a little Tua Tonga-Vailoa. Uh, Tua is number Tua on the depth chart. Uh, Tonga-Vailoa, number two on the Miami Dolphins depth chart after Ryan Fitzpatrick was officially named the team's starter. Miami also released Josh Rosen, further solidifying Tua's status as the active backup. What do you think about Tua's positioning here to start the season, Jordan? I think it's great news all the way around. Obviously, just the indication on his health, right? If he is healthy enough to be the active quarterback on Sunday, you know, basically less than a year since that gruesome hip injury, it's pretty remarkable that he is at that level, obviously health-wise. Obviously, he is performing at high, enough, at, at high enough of a level in camp for them to activate him, to get rid of Josh Rosen as sort of the security uh, blanket, if you will, as, as the, the safety option. They feel like they don't need him at this point because of Tua's health. And, and we know the situation with uh, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick as well, sort of on bereavement, but seems like he's going to be okay to go um, after a, a loss in the family. And so I, I think it's a great situation for Tua. I am a big believer that, hey, sit a little while. Let the game kind of develop in front of you from the sideline see things out, especially with no preseason games, right? The, the fact that he hasn't taken a live snap um, against NFL competition yet 
uh, is a big deal. And, and so without those preseason games to kind of get his feet wet, I think it's a great situation. You learn from a veteran in Ryan Fitzpatrick. You get an opportunity to kind of grow into the position. There's not as much pressure on you. Honestly, I, I don't know if it could have worked out much better other than him, like, you know, obviously winning the job and going out there and starting 4-0 or something like that. But realistically, I, I think it's set up pretty ideal. If you're the Dolphins front office, this is exactly, I think, what they were looking at. Yeah, we were saying that from the get-go, that that's why this situation seemed to be so beneficial potentially for Tua was because there was no need to rush him into action. They had Ryan Fitzpatrick. They previously had Josh Rosen. There was a lot of concern and, and uncertainty as to what the physical status of Tua would be going forward. And I think that's the most significant part of this is the fact that they not only were entertaining trade offers for Josh Rosen, but they ultimately make the decision to just go ahead and release him. Uh, I think that that speaks volumes. I think that that's the most important facet of this story is the fact that they, they have that much belief in Tua and where he is in terms of his rehab from the hip injury and from the previous ankle surgeries. Uh, and so it sounds like they believe he's good to go and he's healthy. And, and it looks like he has overcome some of these previous physical ailments. And then we also get, I think, uh, what we both believe in is the reassurance that uh, they're not going to just throw him out there and feed him to the wolves. They're going to maybe give him at least a small window here to watch, observe, and learn. Uh, and then, you know, when he's mentally and physically ready, uh, then it's Tua time. And that's, uh, that's a pretty bright future potentially for the Miami Dolphins organization. All right, speaking of football, FBS football is upon us. We had a weekend of, well, not necessarily the highest profile college football games, but FBS level football games nonetheless. Feature game of the Labor Day weekend featured BYU trouncing Navy 55-3. to It was a battle that did make history, though, featuring a pair of Polynesian head coaches, Kalani Sitake for BYU and Kenyu Matololo for Navy. How significant was that matchup, Jordan? And do we buy that BYU is legit good here to start the season i mean they are arguably right now the best team in the west <laughs> by default of course because nobody else in the west is playing right now yeah they're, they're basically all the team what west of el paso uh that's playing division one college football this fall. i think like any sort of collegiate football this fall they, they look impressive and obviously it was a huge deal right we just had vice on the podcast uh last week was it uh, he talked about, right, the, the influence of the Polynesian culture on football, on major football, uh, and the, the level of respect uh, that Polynesian players have garnered. And, and we kind of asked him, you know, does, does that sort of translate now into the next phase, whether it's, uh, you know, in coaching roles, whether it's front office type positions, athletic director type positions at the collegiate level, decision making positions, right, as, as we see even more and more Polynesians get the opportunity to play the quarterback position. We just talked about Tua. And, and, and so, obviously, when you're, when you're talking about these two guys, right, with, with such deep-rooted ties to Hawaii, uh, it is pretty awesome to see Kalani Satake and Kenny Niumatololo go head-to-head as a, as a game that kind of came about by circumstance and out of necessity when BYU's schedule was just, you know, lit a flame and uh, burnt to smithereens and, and Navy's looking for some games as well. So, yeah, it was, it was really awesome to see. Up until about, what, five minutes into the game when, when BYU looked like they were just going to run all over Navy, and they did. Uh, and you just don't see teams do that to, to Navy, especially under, under Kenny. And so it was, it was a weird game. It, it, I think we'll see some of these just 
the way how teams are treating this, you know, differently. And, and you heard Neil Montalolo take, take a lot of responsibility and say, hey, we, we really didn't even hit live. There weren't even a lot of seven-on-sevens just to keep everybody as safe as possible. So it's going to – I think it's going to be one of those weird, quirky years for sure just from a competitive standpoint. Uh, so, yeah, BYU, they got a schedule that uh, isn't very difficult after Army – in a couple of weeks, they play at Houston as well. But, uh, I mean, there's a decent chance. I mean, if they run the football like that, I think that offensive line is legitimate, even against They're an undermanned and, and maybe under underprepared, if you will. I don't use that term lightly, just sort of under-repetitioned uh, Navy defense. They're look, they look really good. And so what, what if they're like 8-0 at the end of the season? Do, do, we, do we give them an invite to the, to the playoff? How is this going to work? Uh, I know we're getting ahead of ourselves. They've got a long way to go till then, but uh, it's at least in play, right? The way they look yesterday. We have no idea how it works. I mean, we are. We- <laughs> thing. Uh, my guess would be Dabo Sweeney would be against it, though. Um, well, unless maybe, <laughs> unless, unless he plays BYU in the first round of the playoffs. I don't know. I, I, maybe I shouldn't put words in his mouth. You're right. I, I think it was very significant, just that, that coaching matchup. Uh, I think we are starting to see more and more of that prevalence of the Polynesian culture, right, seeping into the national discourse and national consciousness. This documentary for Tua that was supposed to have aired this weekend but got preempted because drag racing. I think that, um, you know, these are all examples of the nation being clued into the influence of Polynesian culture on the sport of football and, and, and we're seeing it in droves and, and a lot of that has been an awakening prompted by the presence of the Polynesian Football Hall of Fame. Uh, as for the game itself, yeah, Navy, you know, they relented on, you know, major hitting and, and game-like football activity because of concern for COVID. And I'm not sure what's happening over there in Utah, but it doesn't seem like they're worried about that stuff at all. Like they got the high school season's been going already for a few weeks. BYU looked really primed and ready. So, you know, they were hitting for whatever reason. It's just not affecting uh, the operation, uh, certainly as it pertains to sports and some other elements of society in the state of Utah. But BYU looks really, really good. And yeah, I think by default, uh, they are the best team in the West. Uh, speaking of the Polynesian Football Hall of Fame, the Polynesian Football College Player of the Year, Pene Sewell last year, offensive tackle for Oregon, uh, he announced that he's opting out of the postponed, still yet to be restarted Pac-12 football season to prepare for the NFL draft. He is projected by Mel Kuyper to be the number two overall pick behind Trevor Lawrence, quarterback for Clemson. Uh, do you think, though, that this will be a trend for top prospects in those conferences because even if they do play, it'll be later in the year, might be a little bit more juxtaposed directly to the timing of the NFL draft preparation process. Do you see a lot more prospects making this similar decision out of the Pac-12 or the Big Ten? Yeah, I, I think so, especially for the first round guys, right? If you're pretty confident that, that you're going that early in the draft, it makes more and more sense, especially as we keep getting closer and closer to the new year, where we don't know exactly what the return to play plan is going to be for the Big Ten or the Pac-12. There is optimism that it could come sooner rather than later. They're getting more tests and things like that, and maybe it will be sometime this calendar year and not after January. But but we still don't know, right? And and if the risk factor is there, COVID and elsewise injury related. It makes so much sense, right? We've already seen it for, for from a player who 
could have played this season this fall. And Jamar Chase, the stud receiver from LSU, who just the other week announced that he was going to opt out of the season and focus on the draft. So we're seeing it from players who, who could play this fall and could be playing games as soon as September. So it, it's going to be a tough decision. But for guys like Panay Sewell, guys like Justin Fields, the quarterback at Ohio State, a guy like Trey Lance, the quarterback at North Dakota State, and we know FCS football for the most part has been put on the shelf as well. Uh, it's going to be a tough, tough decision for, for a lot of these players. And I really do expect to see more, especially the first round guys, decide to go that route because the investment in yourself is just so great at this point. It's hard to, to argue against, you know, just playing it safe and, and getting yourself ready to go get picked high in the draft. Yeah, and I don't know because of the fact that everything's so fragmented in college football where there's not this uniform decision and they're moving the entire season as a whole to a, a different location in the calendar year. Uh, I don't think that there's enough there to prompt the NFL then to reschedule its NFL draft process, right? The timing of that is likely not to change. And so if the only thing that is changing is your specific conference's season, and if that conference season is not aligned with the rest of the Power Five conferences and perhaps isn't even going to be associated with or plugged into the college football playoff, it takes a lot of the motivation out, I think. It doesn't make a lot of sense to then take that risk if it's going to end up running up and, and, and perhaps interfering with uh, what would be the traditional run-up to the NFL draft and the preparation for that next phase of these players' career. So, yeah, I, I think that this is likely to be a popular decision. There aren't a lot of Penny Sewells out there, sure, but players that are maybe a little bit more confident in their draft status, uh, I do see this as being something that's going to be a little bit more uh, commonplace. All right, well, what has been commonplace here locally as far as television coverage of University of Hawaii sports is Spectrum. And in fact, the University of Hawaii has announced a five-year extension on its television rights deal with Spectrum. Now, per details of the deal, UH could earn an average of nearly $3.1 million per year. The new agreement also carries an option for a sixth year with a 3% increase in rights fees. Now, this comes at a time when it was also reported that the University of Hawaii Athletic Department is currently projecting a $9.3 million deficit for the fiscal year that ends at the end of June 2021 due to the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. That could be a number that is placed on top of a more than $4 million loss from the previous fiscal year that was also hindered by the effects of the virus. So, uh, obviously, taking out the fact that we both do work for Spectrum in some capacity uh, without sounding too much like company men. Uh, how well-timed is this deal from the standpoint of the University of Hawaii when it comes to the economics of it all? Uh, yeah, full, full disclosure there. Uh, any guaranteed revenue at this point for the University of Hawaii is good news, right? They, they, have, to, they have to jump at the opportunity because of the deficit that they are facing. And you laid out the numbers, right? And we've already seen a coaching casualty and Jeff Hall of the very successful beach volleyball program being let go uh, and, and the beach program being consolidated with the indoor volleyball programs. Uh, we we're seeing reports that from the administration side, we could see some reduction in salary um, from the appointed positions, if you will, not necessarily the head coaches because they can't dictate to them as union employees. So but they're, they're facing some cost-cutting measures, and so any sort of guaranteed revenue, because a lot of the other things, right, whether it's ticket sales, whether it's payout games like we saw this year get just wiped off the books, whether it was the trip to Oregon, uh, the trip to UCLA, the trip to Arizona in recent years, those big money football type of games, right, some of the revenue streams that the 
university relies on to fund not just the football program, obviously, but the rest of the athletic program is very much up in the air for the foreseeable future. And then you got to make up the deficit on all the money you lost from the last, you know, six months going on probably a little longer than that once we even get back to competition. So yeah, you understand it, right? We know there are some struggles when it comes to spectrum and, and the fact that not everybody in the state has access to that for some of the games. I know on the neighbor islands, the football pay-per-view is a point of contention. And, and so I, I totally understand some of those complaints and things like that. I think overall the spectrum product, obviously something that we take pride in having worked there, but you know, the, the guaranteed revenue is just impossible to ignore and, and downplay the importance of that for the viability of an athletic program at the University of Hawaii. Yeah, and so any consideration for, you know, the dismantling of the pay-per-view facet of this, I think all that flies out the window because you just have to try to accumulate as much value with regard to this contract and this package as possible if you're the University of Hawaii. And there are going to be, frankly, some standards that need to be met in terms of minimum events that Spectrum has access to uh, from a broadcasting standpoint that could affect the overall annual payout if this COVID thing continues into the next calendar year. Uh, but that said, I do think that with the prospects of possibly restarting UH sports without the presence of fans or without at least the maximum presence of fans, it does in some way add value to this contract, right? Because more people will be, uh, you would assume, watching these games on television if they don't have the access to be able to go in person it adds value to this contract and so uh, i do think it was important for both sides all right time now for our uh, dominoes hawaii main topping and as advertised we talk with vinnie passes quarterback guru he's over there across the country in florida what's he doing He's training quarterbacks here during uh, the pandemic. So uh, doing what he loves and what he is absolutely passionate about. So without further ado, let's go ahead and play that interview. All right. What's up, Coach Vinny? It's uh, great to see you. Uh, great to talk with you. It's been a yes. while. Obviously, usually yes. at this time of year, you're uh, in the thick of things and the high school football season would be upon us. But uh, under these circumstances, you find yourself pretty far from home, as a matter of fact, right? Right. I'm uh, over on the East Coast uh, in uh, Florida, at uh, Pompano Beach, Florida, uh, working out uh, with the next generation of uh, quarterbacks uh, out here. Uh, one of my clients, uh, Davey uh, Belfort, uh, the son of Vitor Belfort, uh, who owns a couple of uh, gyms out here, uh, you know, got a chance to work uh, with him. Uh, you know, he came uh, by way of um, Bishop Gorman's uh, weightlifting coach there. Uh, coach um, Chris Brown, uh, he has no, does no affairs. Uh, Chris is a former linebacker over at UH back in the June Jones uh, era with Timmy Chang and you know, group there. So that's my connection, and you know, made a handful of uh, quarterback clients out here uh, to work with. So, yeah, it's been pretty awesome uh, out here, you know, away from home. Um, being quarantined at home versus being able to go outdoors and, you know, work out with, uh, you know, the next generation of guys. So It plays right to this, this labor of love, right? I mean, this is your passion, working with young people and, and trying to help hone their quarterbacking skills. Uh, this is something that you haven't made a fortune off of in your lifetime. This is something that you have dedicated yourself, though, and used up so much of your free time 
to pursue. Why is that? What does an experience like this, going out to Florida or in Vegas when you work with youngsters and, and, and help to develop them, what, what does it give you? Oh, it just gives me, I um, mean, a great satisfaction to, you know, work with, um, you know, God's uh, young men. Um, you know, uh, you know, I had a situation, you know, a couple of uh, years ago, a couple of decades ago, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, good Lord took my daughter, uh, you know, Natasha and, um, you know, it's been a trying experience, you know, uh, you know, having, uh, my daughter, uh, you know, in heaven. And I, uh, promised the good Lord that if he took care of my daughter, uh, in heaven, that I promised that I'll take care as much of his young men here on earth as, as possible. So uh, I, I still trying to repay the good Lord for, um, you know, my half of the bargain, you know, so um, it gives me great pleasure to, you know, share the experiences that I've known and I know and um, to share it with them is, you know, it's really uh, an amazing uh, feeling inside of me, you know, and uh, to have, uh, former quarterbacks like Marcus Mariota and Tua Tungvaluwa here in, you know, Miami, uh, um, you know, for them, you know, I'm so happy for them. And just to know that, um, you know, I've been a part of their journey and, you know, get these uh, other young men to believe that I can be a part of their journey, just like, you know, how Marcus and Tua is, um, that's, that's uh, pretty awesome. Yeah, it really is. And I think it's interesting that you that you find yourself in Florida and, and not far away from where Tua Tongavailoa is embarking on his professional career. Uh, recently officially named the backup to Ryan Fitzpatrick, but everyone believes it's only a matter of time until he's out there taking the primary snaps. Your relationship with Tua, it goes way back, right, to when he was, what, 10 years old, 9 years old? That's sort of when you first... Yeah made contact with him right yes i mean that's when we first saw him um you know he came to our camps and just uh you know for a young man you know like that to you know come out and throw with all the high school and college quarterbacks and be in their groups and chase people around to have them match his throws instead of him matching their throws uh you know uh, that competitive spirit that he had at that young age uh was pretty amazing and um, I just thank the good Lord for, you know, having our paths cross. And just to be part of his journey has just been pretty amazing, you know. Yeah, hey, Coach, uh, how much do you, um, you know, hear from or, or do you get a chance to, to interact with some of the guys that are, you know, uh, a few years removed now from, from their time at, at St. Louis, like, like Atua or, or Marcus or even some of the guys in college? Um, you know, I know they're really busy and, you know, a lot of their, you know, everyone's one, one, a piece of them there. So, you know, just to be able to communicate through text and just to have them respond to me, even though it's a couple of days or a couple of weeks later, um, at least I know, um, you know, uh, we still have that connection and, and um, you know, just to, you know, hear their texts or see it and, um, you know, um, just to keep that relationship with them, I, I think it's pretty amazing. And, um, you know, it makes me so proud uh, that they, uh, you know, still, uh, you know, think of me and, and still keep our chain of communication going. And that's, you know, it's pretty awesome. 
for a lot of these guys, and, and the list is pretty lengthy when it comes to whether it's just Division One quarterbacks or now multiple professional quarterbacks, what, what's, what's maybe made these guys so successful, some, some similar trait uh, amongst all your different uh, protégés, if you will, that, that have allowed them to excel to the level that they have? Well, they all got this, um, you know, competitive spirit in them and, you know, the willingness to just try to get better and try to be the best at their craft and, you know, always trying to find ways on, you know, how to improve and how to get better, how to get stronger and how to get faster and, you know, how to get more accurate and, you know, just um, finding just ways to get better. And, you know, they all had this um, competitive spirit in them where, you know, they always wanted to, you know, continuously improve and, and be the best that, you know, they can be. And, you know, I think the other trait is um, they all came from um, great families. You know, their family have, you know, been, you know, the, uh, um, the main support of, you know, their, uh, their lives and um, just being able to, um, you know, have a family where, you know, they support you no matter which way, you know, you go and, and, and they all responded by, you know, just making their family proud and um, just being blessed uh, to have a, a great family like, you know, they have, you know. I'm interested to, to kind of hear how this came about for you, uh, how this, this attention to the quarterbacking position manifested itself to a degree where uh, you are able to, and, and the game evolves constantly, and yet you have over the decades been able to find ways to communicate to young people how to improve and how to see the game in a certain way. Uh, how did that click for you? What was that early experience and process like it's just um trying to find ways um for myself um you know how to get better as a teacher you know i um you know worked different camps and you know was fortunate to be part of different groups uh, that ran um camps and and different quarterback instructors and you know try to you know learn from them and as well as as well as the players, you know, when you work with so many different quarterbacks across the nation, you know, you get to learn, or at least I do, get to learn from them as well as they learn from me. You know, learning on their techniques, the teachers that they've had. You know, why do they do things this way here, and then why do I, you know, how it transforms to to what I'm trying to teach and. You know, um, the bottom line is, um, you know, it's all, everyone has their own um, technique. And I think for the quarterbacks to um, find uh, uh, a thing here or a thing there that will fit into their repertoire and how to make them better. Because I don't think any um, quarterback are, they all are different. They all have their uh, different way. I mean, it's just like pitchers in baseball and, and hitters and, and, and baseball and, and volleyball players, you know, they all have different hitting coaches and they all have different uh, pitching coaches and they all have different spiking coaches. And, you know, uh, for me to, to learn from uh, everyone else uh, is, and put it into my uh, forms of teaching, you know, has been, you know, um, you know very, very successful for me. You know, because, um, you know, I, I can't change any quarterback's way of throwing. And, 
majority of them, they're all good anyway. And, <laughs> you know, I was, uh, I'm a firm believer of um, if it ain't broken, then you really don't want to fix it, you know. But for them to, um, to listen and to uh, keep an open mind of what I'm trying to get across to them um, has been really, um, you know, um, helpful, you know, um, especially with guys like, you know, Marcus and Tua and, um, you know, Chevin Caldero and, you know, uh, Jaden Delora, all those guys. Um, it really helps me sell um, the uh, off-the-field stuff uh, outside of the lines, like, um, you know, how you're going to make um, your teammates better, you know, um, you know, how you're going to treat your mom, you know, um, how you treat your family, you know, we, we always tell them that, you know, you, and if you believe in God, then, you know, there's the person right underneath God is your mom and, you know, and then there's dad and then everybody else and, you know, how you treat your, your mom, your family and, um, you know, practice being on those uh, people, you know, will help you, you know, treat your family or, and treat your players, you know, a little bit more special. And I think that's what makes, you know, guys like Marcus and Tua and Jaden guys and Jevin, you know, how they treat the, their players and their teammates, you know, because nowadays the players, they don't care what you know. All they want to know is how much you care about them. And um, they do a great job of, you know, showing the players and their teammates how much they really care about them. And that's what sets them apart from all the other quarterbacks is, you know, how, how they make their teammates better and make all the people around them that much better. Talking with quarterback guru Vinny Passes, uh, it's interesting because a lot of what you're describing, it's not as much about the physical fundamentals and techniques, uh, maybe in, in, in small doses, but what you're yes. describing, and even guys like John Howe who have worked with you and other quarterbacks, yes. Darnell Arsenal, uh, they yes. say one of the things that they learned from you is how to use their eyes. Not necessarily yes. how to grip the ball or where to extend the elbow and all that stuff, but, yes. but how to use the eyes. Could you describe a little bit more on, on that? Because that's a, that's a different kind of coaching philosophy. Yes. Yes, because, um, you know, um, the defense, you know, nowadays, I mean, they're all um, looking at quarterback's eyes. And, and usually the quarterback's eyes takes uh, the defense to where the ball is going to go. And, uh, I mean, you know, we do a, a, a pretty um, good job, an intensive job of, uh, creating influence throws um, and influence throws we talk about is when we can make the defender go one way and then the ball's going the other way um, you know that kind of helps you know open up uh, throwing windows and throwing lanes and you know uh, and, and try to you know relate to the quarterbacks that you know if they follow their receiver step for step or you know, tracking them step to step, then they're really in trouble and their team's in trouble because they're not seeing the defense uh, and secondary or whatever guy that they're reading, you know, to, to open up a window for them to throw the ball. And, you know, I, I think that's, um, you know, uh, a pretty uh, um, crafty or, or part of the art of, of us trying to, you know, relate to the quarterbacks because we know what route they're running. We know where they're going to be. You know, so we don't have to watch them step to step as they go across or they 
or where they're going to go. It's just a matter of making the defender go one way and the ball kind of going in the opposite direction. So instead of leading the, the DB right into the direction that we're throwing the ball. Yeah, it's really is, is a big part of, um, you know, uh, making a quarterback successful and not being able to turn the ball over because we, uh, when we turn the ball over, it's really a 14-point turnaround where we should have gotten seven, but they get seven and it ends up being a two-position deal, you know, so uh, it puts our team at a disadvantage once we turn the ball over and, you know, that's something that we'll try to do you know, with our eyes, you know, so that plays a big part on the success of, of a quarterback on his quarterback, his touchdown to interception ratio. That really uh, depends on how you're going to make your team really successful. Yeah, Coach, I, it's kind of curious because, you know, you, you pair some of these physical attributes. You, you talk a lot about the, the humility, but also this competitive nature. Um, a, a lot of the guys you, you, you've helped bring up over the years whether it's Marcus or Tua the, the knocks always kind of been right they're too quiet or, or a little too fun loving to be leaders out there but we've seen teammates gravitate towards these guys what, what do you make of, of sort of the leadership style of, of a lot of these quarterbacks that you've brought up and how all of those elements kind of tie into each other well first of all their um their competitive spirit to win you know um whether it's um, running team sprints, conditioning sprints, where they got to beat first, they got to win every single sprint. And if they don't win, it really pisses them off just to not be able to win. So that really translate or transforms into their work ethic, you know? And they do their talking and their leadership by showing examples on how hard they're gonna work and you know how they're gonna bust their chops you know, how they're going to try outwork the next guy, you know, and, you know, instead of yelling at someone or raising their voice at someone, just, you know, just working hard and, you know, being the first guy in and, you know, the last guy to leave. And, you know, when we, when we got meetings going on, they're the first to show up and making sure that they last to leave and making sure that the coaches, you know, we're all on the same page and, uh, you know, just their presence of, being able to just showing the next person and the team that how hard that they're willing to work. I think that says a whole lot more than just being a rah-rah kind of guy and yelling at guys and try to get team up that way. I, I think they just rally around and gravitate to the energy of, you know, their willingness to work hard and, and just trying to get better. And, and that makes people around them so much better. And we've mentioned sort of the next guy, Jaden Delora, a couple of times. He he's now at Washington State, uh, first year there, going to be playing for for Nick Rolovich. Uh, what do you see as as his potential now at the next level, uh, as he's kind of following in the line of a lot of these other guys? I think uh, if anything, um, it's really worked for him, you know, uh, in a good way. Uh, you know, um, Chevin, you know, when he went to UH falling into the system with Nick Rolovich, you know, on the run and shoot. You know, he's been four years playing under Tua in the run and shoot system, now going to UH. And, you know, it was a, um, a blessing for him because he's been in that system. And then the uh, terminology just changes. So he just needed to learn, you know, new terminology. Now I really feel for him because Rolo's left and then now he's got a new language now to speak you know and 
for Jaden. You know, Jaden's been in our system for four years at St. Louis, and now Rolo's taking that system over to Washington State where he's at. You know, from being sad one moment when the guy that recruited you, um, Mike Leach, you know, uh, being excited to play in his system, and now he leaves, you know, from sadness, and the next day they hire Rolo, and then now it's the same system that he's been playing in in the last four years. So, you know, he's now in, like Chevin, you know, just needs to learn the new terminology, the way they say things, and, you know, but the system's all the same. So for a quarterback to play in this system for four consecutive years, for Jaden, it'll be fifth year, it'll be his sixth year, and then probably his seventh year, being in this system, you know, uh, it's going to really benefit him, you know, tremendously versus a quarterback who's got a big time arm, but has been in a pro style offense to learn this system, to anticipate, you know, windows being open, how to use his eyes in a different direction, you know, how to um, anticipate things just a little bit better, you know, how to throw guys open a little bit easier um, with a little bit more confidence. Um, I really believe that he'll, he'll be doing good, you know. Um, uh, texted Coach Craig Stutzman uh, the other day uh, um, about the, his progress, and he said that, you know, Jaden's doing absolutely great and is doing uh, everything they've expected for him to, uh, to be on. And he's like, he's right on track, you know, according to Coach Craig. And, um, you know, I, I see nothing but so much upside potential for – uh, Jaden to flourish in the system there over at Washington State. You know, the, the list of, of St. Louis quarterbacks that you've worked directly with is, is such a long, lengthy, and impressive one. And it's not just the St. Louis Crusader QBs, but, you know, so many individuals that you worked with via your Get Better Quarterback camp. When you see individuals like Marcus or Tua make it to that crowning level, right, make it to the professional ranks, how much do you get out of that in terms of, of legitimizing your efforts and your philosophy of the quarterback position to kind of see, you know, even have the feeling of having pitched in a little bit, however you gauge it for yourself, to these monumental accomplishments in the sport? Oh, it's the feeling inside is, is, is pretty amazing. You know, um, it's something I wish um, everyone could, um, could feel. You know, just so, um, you know, proud of these guys. Uh, you know, um, we're all family. We're like brothers. Um, our brotherhood at St. Louis is pretty amazing. That's why uh, our school is like the greatest school on the face of this earth because our brotherhood is is uh, amazing and it stretches from far east to far west and all over the world there. But, um, you know, seeing these uh, young men flourish from – you know, Hawaii or from wherever they're at. Um, I'm just so happy that um, the good Lord has just, you know, made me be a part of all their journeys. And um, at least he knows that I'm trying to, you know, uh, do my best to, to help his young men and, um, you know, just, you know, to help them out and just be part of their journey. So, you know, it's, it's really amazing. And um, I'm really happy that the good Lord chose me to be the one, you know, to be a part of them. You know, that's, you know, it's a great feeling inside.
Well, it's pretty remarkable. And we know how much you love St. Louis School. It's something that is part of your family, right? Your father, Conrad, before you and, and, yes. and just the history that this family has with that yes. institution. It, it really is remarkable. Um, yes. Where does it go from here, you think? Quarterbacking uh, and, with origins in Hawaii, right? I mean, we are just seeing and have seen over the last decade uh, an absolute boom in quarterbacking talent that has played at the highest of collegiate levels. We're seeing it now uh, starting to matriculate into the professional level. Where does it go from here? Do we just start to see an, an even greater and wider cultivation of quarterbacking talent in the islands? Yes, absolutely, because, you know, it's because of um, the previous generation, you know, you know, from, um, you know, Darnell Arsenal, Jason Gesser, you know, Joe Lane, John Hall, you know, uh, Timmy Chang, you know, uh, Bobby George, all of them guys, they, they set the, the bar high for these guys. Now, the, the guys that came in, like, you know, um, Marcus Mariota and, you know, Tua Tungo Vailoa, you know, they're the generation that set the bar even higher. So now this younger generation coming up, they've got a higher bar to reach. Now, I can just imagine if they do reach that bar, I mean, it's going to make it even more challenging for the younger generations that's below them. And um, I think they all do a great job of setting uh, great examples and work ethic for uh, the younger generations to follow. And, um, you know, I think that's a pretty remarkable uh, feat for uh, the next uh, torch that's going to be passed on, you know, uh, you know, at St. Louis, we've got, uh, you know, three amazing quarterbacks that probably could start anywhere in the country. Uh, but Coach Ron has, uh, has a decision to make between those three, whether it's, you know, um, you know, Connor O'Pole who's, you know, been behind Trevin for the last couple of years and, you know, A.J. Bianco's, you know, I think like the next Marcus Mariota kind of deal, you know, being offered by Nebraska, Washington State, and Hawaii, and, you know, and Kahi Graham, who's possibly could be the next tour, you know, Tango Vailoa, you know, a lefty there. I mean, you know, he's pretty amazing. And, you know, Connor Apple comes from the Timmy Chang uh you know, uh, line there where I think that's he's the next Timmy Chang where, you know, things, nothing, nothing phases him, but he'll just go out there and compete and keep, you know, competing every day. So, uh, Timmy Chang, Marcus Mariota, you know, Tua Tungu Vailoa, the next three quarterbacks at St. Louis there. I mean, they're emulation of those guys. Uh, all three of them are amazing. Yeah. I can't say I love one more than I love the other. And I can't say one is better than the other. Um, they're all good. You know, at practice, uh, the ball very rarely touches the ground. And when it does, it's like, you know, you kind of wonder, is something wrong with this guy or did something happen? But they're all, they're all equally good. And they're all uh, doing a great job of preparing themselves to compete for the job. And, um, I'm so grateful that I don't have to make this decision on who's going to be our guy. And it's totally up to Coach Ron because we can play with any one of them and uh, any one of them will, will make our team successful. Uh, gosh, I don't know what else the good Lord could send us there, <laughs> but he's done a great job of uh, uh, blessing us with all these young men, you know, at St. Louis.
it, it, it really is amazing, Coach. And maybe the easy answer to this question is, is just, you know, hey, the Vinny Pass is influence, but I, I know your humility. Just the, the amount of quarterback talent that comes through Hawaii, because it, uh, you know as well as anybody, not just necessarily – through St. Louis, but the Mackenzie Miltons or the Jordan Ta'amus or Soljay Maiava just got snaps yesterday for BYU yes. out of Kahuku. I was so happy for him, man. Gosh. Yeah, you know, and, and he took kind of the circuitous route. And, and I know a lot of those guys, even if they didn't go to St. Louis, has spent probably considerable time at your Get Better camps. But what, yes. what is it about Hawaii? What, what is it about Hawaii that just seems to produce and cultivate uh, that type of, of quarterback and arm talent? They just, they just have this will just to get better. I mean, just to, um, just to find a way to just get better. And because they need to, they, they want to they wanna, um, get to the next level. They just trying to find ways to get better. I mean, um, I've worked with quarterbacks all over the nation now, from Florida to Texas, Utah. Uh, Idaho, Vegas, Nevada, California, and the Hawaii quarterbacks are so different in a way that they, not just one or two, but they all just um, just starving just to find a way to get better and, and you know, can't wait to work out and um, just can't wait to, to find a way, just trying to find that edge and just whether they're working out with two or three guys or four, they'll just find a way to just get better. I, I feel so sad, you know, for them now that, you know, everyone's kind of like on lockdown and they can't go and, you know, and I'm out here, you know, working out with, with other quarterbacks, but because they're able to, to get out and work and, you know, um, I, I just feel for them. And, and I know um, the good Lord will bless them some way, but, the the people in Hawaii, the quarterbacks in Hawaii, are really some something really special, you know. Um, not just physically and their attributes, but their heart and their willingness just to to get better. And they all want to make their family proud of them. And um, you know, and they all come from good families. And you know, I'm not saying that the quarterbacks out here in in, in America uh, don't have good families, uh, but the ones from Hawaii, they, they have a special, um, you know, place in their heart where they need to represent their family as well as be the next uh, quarterback to represent the, the state of Hawaii and 808, you know, and they all, um, you know, Marcus and Tua has been, you know, really instrumental on, on being that um, that North Star where, where they want to follow and chase and be just like them someday. And, it's their turn. They can't wait for their turn to carry the torch, you know, um, onto the next level. I guess the question to, to sort of wrap things up is, is how much longer do you see yourself being motivated within the realm of football and, and quarterback cultivation? Like, how far do you take this thing? I honestly um, hope that it goes on forever. You know, I think I've discovered the fountain of youth. And it's hanging around young guys to stay young, you know. And, um, you know, at my age, uh, you know, uh, I'm almost 100. Uh, but I'm still able to go out and, and work out with the guys and, and drop a few dimes. I uh, still get my 100 throws in a day, you know, at workouts with the guys. And, 
you know, try to compete with them too. And, you know, when I drop dimes, you know, with them guys, I mean, they really, uh, I guess, believe in, you know, what I'm trying to tell them and what trying to work out with them. And, but, um, yeah, I, I just hope it never ends. Uh, I feel like I'm in a dream that um, I don't want to wake up from. And um, I hope the good Lord just, uh, you know, keeps me going and hanging around young guys just to stay young. Yeah, I love the dropping dimes. That's one of the many Vinnyisms that I've heard about <laughs> over the years. I think my other favorite one is, uh, you know, when there are some players that maybe are a little bit more into the gear that they're wearing or how they're looking or something like that, as opposed to the play. You, all, you say something, if, correct me if I'm wrong here, but it's, uh, you can put a mink on a monkey. It's still a monkey. <laughs> right. That came from Coach Cal, Cal Lee. I mean, I got down from Coach Cal Lee. You know, <laughs> because everyone's trying to wear, hey, Coach, we're going to wear blue tonight. We're going to wear white tonight because everyone wants to get their accessories ready, you know, for game time. But, yeah, he was one that said that you can put a mink on a monkey and he'll still be a monkey, you know. <laughs> All right. Hey, Coach, thanks so much. We really do yes. appreciate it. Hey, thank you. I appreciate you having me, man. And, I, I, you know, I do anything for you. So uh, thanks for thinking of me and having me on, man. It's been a pleasure. All right. Big thanks once again to Vinny Passes. Just such a genuinely good guy. Uh, we always take such great pleasure in being able to talk with him. So big thanks to him for uh, taking time uh, out of his schedule over there in Florida to chat with us. All right. Time for our post-game best and worst brought to you by Waste Pro Hawaii Maui's premier full-service refuse company offering various sizes of dumpsters and roll-off containers for commercial construction and residential use. Family owned and operated with over 40 years of service to the Maui community, Waste Pro Hawaii is committed to customer service and responsible waste management. Visit wasteprohawaii.com for services information. Jordan, get us started with your best for this episode. Yeah, my best, we were talking about Kalani Sitake. His BYU Cougars looked awesome yesterday in that Labor Day kickoff against Navy. But I don't know if you saw it. his mask had like a little shaka in the corner. It had the BYU Cougar. Sort of that old school, you know, cougar with like the Navy hat on top of it uh, in one little corner. And then in the other corner, there was a, a shaka. And he, I think a few of the other coaches were wearing it as well. And I just thought it was so cool that uh, anytime, you know, they'd cut to the coach on the sideline, there was uh, Kalani doing some dance moves and all kinds of stuff. It was a good day for BYU football yesterday. <laughs> um, and, and there was the little shaka on it, which I thought was awesome. And, you know, uh, it felt like uh, he was throwing a little shaka back at everybody, tuning into that game. I know a lot of people, obviously, we've, we, we mentioned earlier in the podcast, but taking a lot of pride in the fact that he and Ken Matalolo, two Polynesian guys going head-to-head as head coaches, uh, and then there was also the fact that that our good buddy Jack DeMooney, who was part of that staff there at BYU, was always sort of seemingly, just coincidentally, always right behind Kalani Sataki when the camera was on. So Jack DeMooney also got a lot of airtime. Anybody who knows him knows that is completely tongue-in-cheek. And I know exactly what he was doing by standing right behind Kalani Sataki. He knew the camera was always going to be on them. Yeah, no coincidence whatsoever. Uh, the Jack DeMooney location and the photo bombing or video bombing that was occurring throughout the game. Now, big love to uh, Jack and all those individuals that you name uh, have strong ties to La EA. So it's just kind of amazing to see all of them in their uh, respective roles uh, out there on the field on a feature game on Labor Day weekend, basically to open the FBS season. It's uh, it's pretty remarkable stuff. Uh, I go from your Shaka to the Haka, Braden Fehoko. Uh, I don't know if you saw this clip, but it is gone viral on social media. It's a clip from the documentary series on HBO Hard Knocks where Braden Fehoko was asked to perform a solo Haka for the rest of the LA Chargers. 
Uh, usually you see kind of like the more team-wide rehearsed Hakka performances, but in this particular instance, Braden Fehoko, who was an undrafted signee of the team, trying to make the team, uh, he performed the Hakka, and it was great, and it seemed like he had the respect of all the players around him, veteran and otherwise. Uh, we are happy to report that even though he did not make the 53-man roster, they did sign him to the practice squad. Uh, so congrats to Braden for hanging on with the Chargers and on a really, really cool viral clip. Uh, we, we associate the Fehokos with the Hakka we, we, when he was at LSU uh, performing it as he was walking into the stadium with his dad who was outside of the guardrails. Uh, I mean, that kind of stuff was chicken skin for sure and, and Braden doing it again on his own. The clip was great, right? He is, he is the viral Hakka guy uh, <laughs> over the course of his football playing career now. Hopefully he gets an opportunity uh, you know, cracking through and, and going the practice squad route. Um, but it's always nice to introduce the masses to the Hakka every once in a while. All right, time to get to our worst. I'll start. Decorated music producer Rick Rubin was arrested on Kauai and charged with violating quarantine. Uh, he's perhaps best known for producing such classic hip-hop acts as Run DMC, LL Cool J, and the Beastie Boys. And the reason why I listed this as my worst was just so I could say this line that Rick Rubin, like the Beastie Boys, apparently you got to fight for your right to party in court. All right, sorry, Rick Rubin. I just had to make the joke. It's a well-done joke there. That is well done. <laughs> Yeah, my worst. Uh, I don't know if you've been following much of the U.S. Tennis Open, uh, but Novak Djokovic, number one in the world, number one seed. He was defaulted from the – he was kicked out of the tournament. This was a tournament that he was absolutely supposed to win and was going to win. Uh, completely watered down field, no Nadal, no Federer. Uh, there was, like, nobody else really within striking distance of him. But Novak Djokovic, who has a bit of a checkered past, just sort of dealing with human beings um, – took a ball and that was sort of out of frustration. And, and you see it right in, in tennis matches, they'll, they'll give the players a few different balls and they'll choose which ones to, to use. And then one to stick in their pocket. And then they'll give a couple back to the, the folks behind the baseline. And he took one sort of out of frustration and just ripped it a little forehand uh, and a line judge. Like, I think she was like a 67 year old woman, like went down, like she got hit by a sniper, like just went down, had like trouble breathing. And it's like, dude, what are you doing? Why, why? That's dangerous, you know? And it wasn't like a full-on, you know, serve speed or anything, but it was enough for the lady to be severely, you know, shook in the moment. And I guess she was okay eventually. Uh, but they, they, they went to the, the tournament officials and they said, uh, yeah, you're out of here. You're gone. Uh, and they sent him home. And he didn't even speak to the media or anything afterward. He went straight to the parking lot and dug out. Uh, he's had incidents like this in the past where he sort of rocketed balls into the stands and was asked about it as, as far back as like 2016 and, and was very flippant about it and said like, no, did anybody get hurt? Nobody got hurt. Why are we making a big deal of this? Well, this is why Novak, he's also the guy that held the tournament in Serbia, like peak COVID uh, late spring, early summer, and everybody got sick. And, and it's just, he, he kind of seems like as a dude, the worst. Uh, and so his, his, shenanigans and thankfully that lady was okay the line judge but yeah it's like come on man what are you doing yeah and even on top of that uh, some of his fans actually got wind of her account on twitter and started harassing her she was the victim and you had some of novak djokovic's fandom uh victim hating or shaming and it's just like you know what he's not that cool of a guy it seems uh, he's had a lot of issues with anger management on the court. Uh, he once made some very questionable comments about the amount of money that his female counterparts in the sport 
make and and you know had some pretty questionable things to say there uh, so yeah he doesn't seem like that great of a guy to root for uh, and maybe that's reflected in those who root for him because they don't seem to be all that cool either he actually had to try to calm them down and defend the line judge uh, in front of all of his fans on social media it was just a debacle just uh you know just a typical novak i guess uh, the joker uh, nothing to laugh about there All right, that's our best and worst brought to you by Waste Pro Hawaii, Maui-owned, Maui-operated for Maui's people. We thank once again our guest here today, Vinny Passes, for jumping on with us. That was a lot of fun. Hit us up on Twitter, at Kanoa Leahy, at Jordan Helley, or at TalkSports808. Jordan, until next time, we'll do it again, man. Have a good one.